Matthew chapter 18. Our text for today will be verses 10 through 14. Jesus continues as he speaks to his disciples, the twelve in particular. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, Assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples and us that leadership in his kingdom is not about selfish ambition, rivalry, or aspiring for position or recognition, but rather serving one another in the spirit of humility and love. And this goes all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. This is the theme that he's been dealing with. Since verse 1, since the question was asked him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The spirit of self-promoting greatness does not fit in the kingdom of heaven. Relationships in his kingdom are not based on what another might do for me. Or how he or she might support my agenda. No, in fact, as we emphasized when we looked at verse 5, we receive one another because we're members one of another in Jesus. And it really is all about Jesus. He says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And that's where our interest lies. That's where our focus is. That's where our heart is if we're converted and become like little children. Last week, we focused on Jesus' strong warnings against any mistreatment of the little ones who believe in him that would cause them to stumble. And and, and the way I understand that is not simply stumble into a sin, though that's not excluded, but actually a fuller kind of stumbling, a kind of falling away. Some have even used the word apostatized, but a moving away from Jesus is the idea. 
And there's a sense in which experientially you are either moving toward Jesus or away from Jesus. I don't know that there's any treading water. I, I, I think you're doing one or the other. And one of our greatest concerns as we relate to one another, as we relate to other believers, should be that we not be an instrument of stumbling, causing them to stumble away from that simple trust in Jesus and that faithfully following Him, following after Him. And this is what verse 6 emphasized. Jesus said it would be better for such a person, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. And that's strong language and it might cause us to cringe a little bit. But if if we have been converted and become like little children, we, we get that. We, 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 we find the thought abhorrent that we would be a stumbling block or be stumbled by someone. We, we, we don't want anything to get in the way of Jesus. And knowing the nature of sin, verses 8 and 9, that sin is the reason for the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. We, we know that. Paul write, writes that to saints. You, you know that. You know that. And that, according to Jesus, everlasting hell fire is the ultimate consequence For any who love self and sin over Him, the only Savior of sinners, knowing that, the child of God responds to what Jesus says in verses 8 and 9. And He cuts off and casts away anything that gets in the way of the One in whom His heart believes and loves. And so that nothing in this life is more valuable to the believer than Jesus. Now sometimes, sometimes as a believer, we struggle with that. But when it really comes down to it, when push comes to shove, when you are pressed, pressed up against the wall, so to speak, you would say, there is nothing more valuable to you in this life than Jesus Christ, right? If you're a, a believer. And so when you see that there is something that is a stumbling block, your heart's desires to deal with that, to cut it off, throw it away, pluck it out, cast it away. We want our lives, we want our lives in the context here to point others to Jesus. We don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to be a stumbling block. To others. So Jesus' warnings here are real and they're sobering. And 11 of the 12 took him seriously. And I just would ask the question to you do you take him seriously? I hope you do. Now, in verses 10 through 14, Jesus has one more charge to give to his disciples who remember their their concern was about greatness in His kingdom. And Jesus is saying that's the wrong thing to be concerned about. And then he, he, after giving this charge, He gives reasons for the charge that serve as the example for them to follow as leaders in His kingdom. And, and, and here, here's a, an underlying point that Jesus is making. God loves His little ones. 
And He takes the treatment of them personally. Okay? So let's look at the charge. Jesus says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Take heed, He says. Pay attention to this. Watch yourselves. This is critically important. This is not just an afterthought. It's not an addendum. It's not like he's written a book with the most important things and now he's just going to add something in the end. This is critical. Instead of being positioned, uh, uh, instead of being focused upon your position in the kingdom, you need to be concerned about these little ones. He says, do not despise. That's not the same thing as offending or being a stumbling block. This has to do with the way that you view the little ones. And by the way, the contrast is is great when the question is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And here in verse 10, he uses the word little ones. That's not the same as little children. It's a different word. it's, 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 It's about as opposite as you can get in the Greek. From the greatest to the least, the little ones. Do not despise the least, the little ones. Don't think down upon. Don't consider them as insignificant. Don't look upon them as inferior. Do not belittle them. It's really the opposite of receiving, which he said back in verse 5, whoever receives one little child like this in my name. That is, receive with open armed embrace, full reception. Despising is the opposite of that. Despising is looking at them as not worthy of your reception. It's to, it's to consider another as unimportant or not valuable. By the way, just the opposite of the way God the Father views His little ones. It's to treat one with the air of superiority, less than you, serving your interests. They exist for you so that your agenda, your choices, your words are really what matters, regardless of how it impacts them. That's 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 the spirit of despising. Paul addressed this attitude in first Corinthians, chapter 11 and verse 22, when he said to the Corinthian church, who you remember had a problem with class divisions in the church. You know, some were eating with this group, some were eating with that group, and there was a division within the church because they weren't really receiving one another as members one of another. The Spirit wasn't there anyway. Paul said, what, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise? That's the word here. Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And so the charge of Jesus, do not despise one of these little ones, not even one of them. And that's emphasized throughout these verses. It's repeated, the idea of one. And that's really what Jesus intends to emphasize. Now, now let's think about just, just for a second here. Who is he talking about? 
when he says, do not despise one of these little ones. Certainly, there's an application here to biological children, little ones. And I think there's nothing wrong with making the application. After all, children are a gift from God, right? And do not despise one of these little ones. We know what Jesus thinks of little children. He's demonstrated that in his in his ministry. And so don't despise little ones. Each little one, by the way, I I thought back to yesterday and and the gathering we had here. Did you all notice all the children? God has blessed us with so many children. And did you do you realize I know we say this, but do you realize there's not an insignificant one among the bunch? Each Little one. Sometimes people think when people have a number of children, say more than one, you know, they have two, they have three, they have four, maybe five, and they say, oh, well, they've already got three or four, whatever. It doesn't work that way. Each one is, is special. Doesn't matter how many you have, right? And, and, and that's kind of the idea here. And so receive little children as, as Jesus does. Respond to them with care and lead them to Jesus. Look upon them, not with a spirit that despises them, that belittles them, that looks down upon them. I was blessed, uh, this week with a five-year-old that actually asked me this question. It moved my heart. She said, is God the same as Jesus? Is God the same as Jesus? Now, you know, we've been talking about the Trinity a lot this year. and Well, not just this year, but it has been talked about a lot this year. And we've gone into some deep thoughts about that. What am I supposed to say to that five-year-old? You know what I said to that five-year-old? Yes, he is. And I just left it at that. Yes, he is. I didn't despise the little child you, you, you can't get. You can't understand these things. You know? No, yes, he is. And brethren, that's the way we ought to view little children. And that's the way we ought to view those little ones who believe in him. And that's who Jesus has in view here more particularly are those who are believers. In fact, the word little ones in verse 10 is the same word that is that he uses back in verse six. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me and that's who he's talking about primarily are the little ones who believe in him, not the little ones who have all the questions figured out, all the well, first of all, all the questions and then answers to all the questions, the little ones. Anyone who believes and Jesus wants us to know. Heaven's perspective toward these little ones. And so in verses 10 through 14, he gives reasons for this charge. These little ones may seem insignificant, but not to God. Not to God. Are you a believer here today? Sometimes you think of yourself as insignificant. You may think others view you that way. But I want you to know you're not insignificant to God. Jesus is saying that here. Each one. He begins by saying they are known in heaven. Notice he uses the word for. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones for I say to you. He's giving an explanation as to why he's giving this charge for I say to you. 
And it's interesting, it's emphatic. He, he doesn't just say, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. In heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father which is in heaven. No, he precedes that with, for I say to you. This is emphatic. He could have just said it, but he doesn't just say it. He, he wants to hammer this home. I'm saying this to you. You need to get this. The Son of Man, who is the Son of God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He knows experientially what he's talking about. I, I heard, I, I read, uh, there's just so many debates over verse 10 and, you know, the angelic role, etc., etc. And I'm thinking, do you think Jesus knows what the angels are doing? He knows what's going on in heaven. He's speaking on earth, having come. Verse 11 says, for the Son of Man has come. Where did He come from? He came from His Father's side, from His Father's bosom. He is one with His Father eternally. came to earth from Him. He knows what's going on in heaven. And it's probably worth just musing upon here to think of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, God come in the flesh upon earth, Thinking, thinking himself upon his father, my father who is in heaven. And he's saying right now, as I'm speaking to you, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. And that's an expression in which Jesus is saying they have an intimate relationship to God. These angels take interest in God. And they take interest in the will of God. And they take interest in the people of God. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 19, an angel is referred to. The angel answered and said to him, this is Zacharias, when the angel is speaking to him about the birth of John the Baptist. He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And was sent to you and bring you these glad tidings. I don't know if every child or every child of God has a guardian angel. It's a pretty popular thought, isn't it? They have guardian angels. It comes from this verse, really, because it does say, for I say to you that in heaven their angels. But you notice what it says. It doesn't say their angel. It says they're angels. I think this is a statement of the angelic hosts. He is the Lord of hosts, you know. And the Lord of hosts has angelic beings who listen to Him, who obey Him, who constantly are adoring and worshiping Him. And they know exactly what's, what, at least what has revealed, has been revealed to them by Him. In fact, they knew what Jesus was doing here. They knew that He who was with His Father in glory came down. He stepped away from that, that position of infinity and came into the finite world, into His created world. They knew why He came. And these angels are always at the beck and call of the Father. Hebrews 1 and 14 says that they're ministering spirits to minister for those who will inherit salvation. And so the angels know 
what's going on. And they are looking down not only upon the Son as they are here before the face of the fathers, the son says, but they see the treatment of his little ones. And that's really the point I believe Jesus is driving at here. And he is saying, for this reason, remember, he talked about the angels seeing us in worship in first Corinthians chapter 11. There's an angelic realm that is viewing, that is looking down, that is peering upon, that is amazed. That God would even mess with. Sinful humanity. You remember, he didn't do anything to fall in angelic realm. He let them go. All of them. But he's treating us differently. Humanity. And the angels see this. And they're taking interest in this. Jesus seems to be saying, for this reason, do not despise one of these little ones. The angelic realm, the host of heaven are viewing and then he says in verse 11, for the son of man has come to save that which was lost. Again, giving a reason why you shouldn't, why you should not despise one of these little ones. Jesus came to do the will of his father. Verse 14, even so, it is the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should uh, that one of these little ones should perish. It's not his will that one of these little ones should perish. The Father sent the Son. And the Son came for these little ones. Believers, this is you. And I know, you've heard this so much that it's kind of like a yawner. Okay, big deal. We know that. Are you kidding me? We need to, we need to, we need to humble ourselves if we have that kind of attitude. And we need to marvel at what He has done. I would say, perhaps we need the, perhaps we need the Spirit of God to, in, in, to, to widen our capacity to be able to enter into this incredible manifestation of God's love. He came because they, or we, who are the little ones who believe, would have perished without Him. The word that is translated lost in verse 11, is translated perish in verse 14. That's what he's talking about. These little ones, the lost ones, are the ones that his father's heart is upon. The son is speaking here. My father's heart is upon these little ones. And so is his. His purpose in coming the first time was, was not to judge the world. Listen, listen to these scriptures. For God, verse John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. John 12.47, And if anyone hears My words and does not believe, I do not judge him. At, at that moment, at that time, I didn't. That's not why I came. I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. We're talking about a Savior here. And then 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. His purpose is to save the lost his purpose is to save the lost sheep. These are the little ones who believe. And so in verses 12 and 13, he, he gives a parable to help us out. What do you think? Let me illustrate, he says. 
If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. God's care is compared to a good shepherd. Not just any shepherd. And I really do believe that Jesus has Ezekiel 34 in mind as he as he gives this parable, because there were bad shepherds. Remember that that was the contrast in Ezekiel 34. And, and he's contrasting bad shepherds in Israel with himself in, in Ezekiel 34. And so here he is referring to the shepherd who likely in this context is referring to his father and then to himself. And then, as I hope to show you, as we conclude by extension to those whom he has appointed to be shepherds over the flock, flocks of the flock of God, the various churches and so forth. Now, not every detail in a parable has a corresponding spiritual significance. But there's a main point. This parable is much like Luke chapter 15, verses four through seven. And some of you may have thought about that there. He also talks about the idea of there being a hundred sheep. And one of them is lost. And then the shepherd goes and finds the one sheep. And when he finds the one sheep, he rejoices. And not only does he rejoice, he calls others together and they all rejoice over the finding of the one lost sheep. And Jesus says, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine just persons who need no repentance. So what's the point of that parable? What's the point of the parable in Luke 15? The point is that there are 99 just or there are 99 people who don't see their need for repentance. There's one who does. And so the one that sees his need for repentance and repents, there's this rejoicing. He's the lost sheep that is found. But in the parable here in Matthew 18, though it sounds very similar, it's not given for the same purpose. Here he's comparing value. One that went astray, he says, is as important as 99 who didn't. And the 99 who didn't go astray are not those who don't see their need for repentance. That's not the point of this parable. The point of this parable is that each one is equally valuable to the shepherd. All 100 Not just the one and not the ninety nine, all one hundred are equally valuable. And so even a straying one should not be despised. And so who is the straying one? Well, the straying one is one that has wandered away from the shepherd. He's wandered away from the flock. I mean, that's the imagery here. He's does he not leave the ninety nine and go to the mountains? To seek the one that is straying, he's wandered off, he's in a dangerous place. He's open to harm, He, he might be destroyed, he can't protect himself. 
And brethren, this is the natural tendency for all of us, isn't it? You remember Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Left to ourselves, we would have kept wandering. This sheep-like tendency is still in our flesh. Little ones, you see, and that's who we are. We never, ever, in this sense in which Jesus is speaking here, we never get beyond the little ones in the kingdom. And little ones are vulnerable. They are dependent. We can stumble. We can be deceived. We can err. We can go astray. And all of those words are words that are used throughout the New Testament of the, of the potential of the people of God. And so we need a great shepherd who knows our infirmities. He knows my infirmity. He knows my infirmity right now. He knows what I'm dealing with at this very moment as I'm trying to preach to you. He knows. He knows. I, I am, I have a, there's tendencies about me. He knows that. And, and he cares. You see, he's not, he's not kicking me to the curb. He's not, he's not, He's not opening up the ground here and swallowing me up, you see. He cares. He cares. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 25, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's us. And the Son of Man is the shepherd of the sheep who makes known the love of the Father For his little ones, God's deep love for his own is portrayed in this parable. And if we don't see what is portrayed in this parable in God, in our Father, in his Son, the Lord Jesus, if we don't see that, we will not be capable of doing what we are called to do in his kingdom. And that's, that's the point that Jesus is driving at for us. And so as you look at the parable, you see that the shepherd seeks the lost one. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, just one of them, what does he do? He leaves the ninety-nine and he goes to the mountains to seek the one that is straying. Now remember, everything in a parable does not need a parallel spiritual truth. What is the truth that he's driving at here? He is deeply devoted to every single one of his little ones so that he seeks them when they wander away. He seeks them when they go astray. He does not wait for the straying one to come to Him. Isn't that the point of Ezekiel 34? I mean, he's chiding the shepherds of Israel who were not fulfilling their responsibility. And so he says, indeed, I myself will take it on. I myself will search for my sheep. Verse 12, so will I seek out my sheep. I will bring them. I will feed them. I will feed them. He repeats this. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. This is the shepherd of the sheep. 
the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. He goes to where the sheep are going astray. It's possible. It's possible for a sheep, I think, if we could... You know, it doesn't really fit the analogy too well, I suppose. But I believe that it is possible for a sheep to go astray and still be attending, looking like they're there, but they're not really. Their hearts are somewhere else. Right? It's possible. But wherever they are, whether whether they're on a mountain far off in a desert, far off place, whether it's in the soul that there's been this departure, this this wandering off. He seeks the one. That's the point. He doesn't ignore the straying one. You say he has 99 already. He has 99 already. Why, does he need, why can't he just let the one go? Because of his love for his little ones. Each one is significant. And then notice he rejoices. If he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep, that one, than over the ninety nine that did not go astray. It's not that he he doesn't rejoice over his other sheep. You notice the term more. There's a relative. There's a relativity here. There's this more rejoicing. The one who was lost is found. And that's Luke 15 is big on that. The one who was lost is found. So there's rejoicing. Luke, Jeremiah 32:41. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. You say, but this is a straying sheep. This is one who's gotten out of the way. This is one who has wandered off. Surely the Lord does not rejoice over that sheep. And, and I, my answer to that is, yes, he does. When he finds that sheep, there is rejoicing. And I... I found this I found this helpful. Sometimes I think that we have this view of God. He's sovereign and he's omnipotent and he is. We sort of view him as some sort of uh some sort of inanimate being, uh sort of like a a stone or a rock. Well those terms are used in scripture. But other terms are also used that aren't literally to be understood literally. Brethren, though God is sovereign and omnipotent, that does not mean that his operation is just matter of fact. He's not just matter of fact accomplishing his will. In fact, the whole the whole view here that Jesus gives in this and the parables in Luke 15 is that is that the heart of the father is stirred with rejoicing. You say, well, he's God. It's going to it's going to happen because he is sovereign. He is omnipotent. And that's one way of looking at it. And there certainly is a a measure of security thinking of it that way. But I am telling you, and this is where this idea of relationship is so critical to our encouragement as the people of God. He actually rejoices over us when he when he recovers us. 
Jesus says God rejoices over the restoration of His straying sheep. He rejoices in saving. He rejoices in restoring. And then He protects. In verse 14, Even so it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He will not let one perish. This was emphasized in the last hour. And again, I don't know if your spirit is connecting with this or not. I trust if it's not right now, it will later. I mean, right now, I'm not bubbling over with an, emo- with an emotional response to what I'm saying. I wish I were. I will. I was. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? I remember a preacher one time who said, he said, this was a lot more stirring to me in my study than it is right now as I'm preaching it. And I find that to be the case sometimes. And I say that with sadness. And yet, though I may not be stirred in my spirit and my soul with the emotion that ought to be attached to it, I can tell you this, it's as true as it was last night when my soul was being stirred. And when my soul will be stirred later, or maybe when my soul will be stirred in the next moment with the delight and the joy and what I'm understanding God's relationship to me to be and to you. This is the Father's will, Jesus said. This is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. I want to tell you something. This doesn't just stir my heart with encouragement for my sake. There are other little ones, right? There's a hundred. If we could think of a hundred percent, if we could think of completeness. And it may very well be that some of those that I know and you know who are wandering, who are straying, that they are one of these sheep. And that gives me encouragement, you see. And he won't lose one John 10:16 and other sheep I have which are not of this fold them also I must bring Jesus said the good shepherd and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any one snatch them out of my hand My Father which gave them to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We have. We have them. We won't let them go. The great shepherd of the flock of God doesn't just try to keep all the little ones from perishing. He gave His life to guarantee our security. He rose again to confirm that we are truly justified in Him. He's the protector of our souls. And He's making sure that the will of His Father is done. Restoring every straying sheep. Now why is Jesus saying this? He's saying this to support what He has said in verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Angels don't. The Son doesn't. The Father doesn't. Neither must you despise one of these little ones. And this is the model for church leaders. 
And I would say this is the model for the church. This is how we must view those who believe in Jesus and those who will. And this is especially applicable to overseers and pastors in the church. We are to be like him in our care for the little ones of his kingdom in his church. As I said, this this parable differs from Luke's account. In this account, you notice what he says in verse 13 in the parable. He says, and if he should find it. Does that apply to Jesus? Does that apply to the Father? If he should find it. If it's an if of only a possibility. No, it doesn't. You see, in Luke's account, it says when he has found it. There's certainty there. This is why I'm as I. As I, as I look at this passage, I see that there's a primary impact that is to have upon us who are under shepherds, who are caring for the flock of God, who are given the responsibility in this life to be the instruments of God under him, under the chief shepherd, under the good shepherd, you see. Of course, with him, nothing, none are lost. We've seen this already. But notice also there's, there's a shift In verse 14, he says, and so even so, it is not the will of whose father? Your father. What did he say in verse 10? He says, for I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. But at the end of the passage, it's like he's shifting the attention to them because that's his point. You asked, who's the chief? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? I'm telling you. And your greatness is measured, if you want to say it that way. Your greatness is connected to how you view my little ones and how you serve them. How you relate to them. How you care for them. And brethren, this is where this passage becomes very personal for me as a pastor. Knowing how our Father sees His little ones. Knowing how our Father sees every one of you who are believers. Knowing that He will seek and He will find each one. Knowing His care for you. I must not despise you. And you must not despise one another. Because you see, we together are in this thing of caring for one another. It's not just laid upon one person, as we'll see in the, as this chapter goes on. It's about the church. We must pursue straying ones with loving, a shepherd's loving care. There's not one little child who believes in him that should be looked down upon or treated as if they really don't matter. And so the heart of elders and pastors must be for the little ones, not overlooking one. I guess for myself, I'm personally applying this as I think about Community Baptist Church. And and maybe that's one of the reasons why I have this sense of a sort of uh, I don't know if I'd call it a heaviness, but definitely there is a concern 
because I know that a number of the brethren are being hurt by things right. They're infirmed right now. They're in, and they're not, some of them are incapable of being here this morning and participating with the flock as we're gathered together here and enjoying the what God has given to us here. And all that's under the care of the great shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. He's not leaving them. He's not ignoring them. And they're not straying in that sense. But there, are, there have been those and that have strayed. And it brings a great deal of concern to any elder or pastor's heart. For you see, we're not self-serving. We're not self-serving. Or we're not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be about you. Excuse, excuse me, about you doing something that's going to bolster me. I have a responsibility to care for you with that kind of spirit with which our Father, through His Son Jesus, cares for me and cares for you. Of course, a broader application here is if any of the little ones stumbles, none of us should despise him. There are those who have stumbled. We shouldn't despise them, but we should seek to restore them. Isn't that what... Paul says, remember that, he said, brethren, in Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And this may involve church discipline, which we'll get to, Lord willing, in another message in verse 15 and so forth. God loves his little ones. God loves His little ones. And I think it's right to say in the context here that His anger is stirred toward anyone who despises His little ones. He defends them. He will not let them go. And anyone who gets in the way of any of His loved ones coming to Jesus, He takes that personally. We need to remember that when we're thinking about one another and other Believers, and let me say that if you're straying, if you're a wandering sheep, the lover of your soul will come after you to restore you. He will not let you go. And he has ordained human instruments to act as shepherds towards you on his behalf. And shepherds don't always, shepherds are under shepherds are not always successful. And I think that's the context in which the parable here in Matthew 18 is spoken. If, if you find them, if they are restored, if. But there is no if with God. There is no if with Jesus. Thank God the salvation of his little ones is not dependent upon any fallible man. It rests upon him and him alone, whose love is too great to let one of his little ones perish. And you see, so I say that to say this. I am not laboring under the I have. I think probably sinfully so labored under this intense, heavy burden that I am responsible to make sure that no sheep is ever lost. What human being can bear that responsibility? What human being can bear that load? Sometimes parents can bear that. If one of your children grows up and they turn away from everything you taught them, you bear that heavy burden of what did I do wrong? 
How could I have shepherded them better? How? And all of us can do better, can't we? But even the salvation of your children does not depend upon you. The Good Shepherd, the Chief Shepherd, the Father in Heaven who is one with His Son has committed Himself, himself to the salvation of His sheep. He will succeed. He won't lose one. That encourages my heart. And on that note, we'll close. Father, I thank You. I thank You. And I pray for help.